Blog Talk Radio. The following is a Post Time with Mike and Mike production. Coming up third, Liz Bird up the inside. Rock Diamonds, wow! Four of them. Here is Rock Diamonds and Mitchell Cushing. They win the gold cup in soccer. It's American history trying to dig in on the outside endeavor. Tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike, with your host, Mike Carter. And the number 1,000 for the third time, Aaron Merriman wins. And Mike Bozich. Down to the finish. Turn in a game win in the Betsy Ross over Caviar Alley and Apple Bottom Jeans 149-2 unbelievable. For another edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Trotting Association, Mike Bozich flying solo today, as Mike Carter is on assignment with some meetings at the USTA. We certainly welcome you in. Another great show, action packed coming up today, as we got a couple of guests that we're going to uh, go in depth with. Usually, we have three or four guests on this program, but but then we just got a couple, and we're going to really go in depth with a couple of Herbie winners. How about Derek Givner? the editor of the uh, Daily Racing Forum, Harness Side, earning his first John Hervey Award. And it's actually quite amazing, all the good work that Derek has given us throughout the years and uh, finally getting some good recognition with his first Hervey Award for Excellence in Harness Racing Journalism for his column on rolling the sport into the future. So we're going to talk to Derek about that, kind of what goes into writing these articles, what goes into uh, putting these articles together and so forth. So we're going to uh, pin Derek down and see what his secret is on a writing a good article. That was a fantastic article, by the way. As a matter of fact, when I first read that article when it came out in early February in uh, DRF Harness Weekend, I was like, you know what? This is definitely award worthy, and certainly it proved to be. So congratulations to Derek Gibbon. We're going to talk to him towards the top of the hour. Also, our good friend Melissa Keith is going to join us. In just a few minutes, she is the vice president 
the Canadian chapter of the United States Harness Riders Association of Canada, and she's another Hervey Award winner for her two-part story on the death of Ron Graham, and that appeared in Harness Racing Update. So we're going to talk about that as well. Plus, uh, the Downs at Bohegan Sun Poconos getting ready to open up. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've got their press conference coming up today. They're going to unveil a brand-new starting gate. How about that? So some good things coming up at Pocono. And I think for the first time, if I read Jerry Connor's article correctly in the uh, on USTA.com, first time in 55 years that they opened up this early. February racing up in the Poconos. How about that? So they start on February 8th. Maybe next week we'll have a Gen Star Rick Kane and the gang uh, to join us since uh, we take a look at what's going to be a long season at the Downs at Mohegan Sun Pocono. But first things first, let's get to the uh, elephant in the room, and this kind of took the harness racing world by storm over the last couple of days. And, of course, this is the uh, big news or the not-so-good news out of uh, kind of my home state of Pennsylvania where Governor Tom Wolf is attempting to raid the uh, the Horse Racing Development Fund. And this is obviously not the first time that this has happened, and it's certainly not going to be the last time that this uh, is going to happen. This was in uh, Governor Wolf's 2021 budget proposal, and uh, this is a good chunk of money. This would certainly be a death blow, the sport of harness racing in Pennsylvania, the sport of horse racing in Pennsylvania. $204 million from the Racehorse Development Trust Fund. Keep in mind, trust fund, uh, which is certainly a very interesting word. And I can't wait because we're going to get into this with Derek Gibner, uh when he comes on this program and, and see exactly what he knows. But the key thing here is that the 2017 Racehorse Industry Reform Act is going to play a big part in this because uh, – and this is uh, in the article on the USDA. It's a a very good article. I, I, it's right on the front page, so if you get a chance, check it out. But uh, towards the bottom of the article, it says the legislature noted in the 2017 Racehorse Industry Reform Act that the money in the RHDTF are not funds of the Commonwealth, and that the Commonwealth shall not rightfully shall not be rightfully entitled to the money in the RHDTF. Now, one of the questions that I'm going to have for Derek, and once again, I really don't know how hey, – Derek seems to know a lot of things, so I'm going to try to pick his brain on this and to see exactly how much he knows. Usually he's a pretty good go-to guy when it comes to a lot of this kind of stuff. But I guess my question is, is okay, so they can't touch it, but what about adding to it? That's going to be the, that's going to be the main thing. And it goes on – the article goes on to say, that the goal of the trust fund language was to spur new long-term investment in Pennsylvania's racing and breeding industry by providing increased economic certainty for investors. The trust fund language has been working as intended, spurring millions of dollars into investment in the state economy by horse owners, breeders, and other businesses in the past two years. In addition, and these are quotes from um, Pete Peterson, who's the executive director of the Pennsylvania Equine Coalition. Peterson noted that because the rate is not legal, it leaves the primary initiative of the governor without a viable funding source. Now, for those of you that are kind of new to this, uh, that may be hearing about this for the first time, uh, the, the governor's goal uh, to, 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 to raise $204, $204 million 
the Resource Development Trust Fund is to take that money and put it towards schools. And if I read the article correctly, and it really doesn't say too much in this article about where uh, Wolf wants the Governor Wolf wants to put the money, but he wants. Uh, it's my belief that he wants to uh, put the money in uh, to help. Poor kids, less advantaged kids go to college, and here's the, the scary part about this whole thing is that if you take that story and listen, we're in a hustle-bustle world. People don't bother to look beneath headlines. Okay, People don't bother to read the book. They read the cover. They read the headlines. A lot of times they don't read the articles, and if you just go to John Q. Public on the street and you say, hey, listen, where do you want this $204 million? Do you want this $204 million in the Resource Development Trust Fund, or do you want this $204 million to go to pay for less advantaged kids to go to college? Well, it's a no-brainer. 99 people out of 100 are, you know, what option they're going to pick. But, you know, as you get into the book, okay, as you get into the meat of the matter, how much economic development does the sport of harness racing to the sport of thoroughbred racing mean? And I think Pete Peterson brought it up very well, the the uh, director of the Pennsylvania Equine Coalition. $1.6 billion in economic impact, impact estimated 16 to 23,000 jobs in the agriculture, manufacturing, construction, retail, hospitality industry. The list goes on and on. As a matter of fact, if you go to the uh, PHHA website, it gives you a good breakdown of where all this uh, economic development is, where it goes, plus – we're talking about 100,000 acres of open space in Pennsylvania that would be simply put out of business. Hundreds of farmers uh, who preserve tens of thousands of additional acres growing crops such as straw for bedding, alfalfa, other feed products for horsemen. I mean the list goes on and on. It's, it's a domino effect. It's a domino effect. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you talk about taking money and diverting it to schools, and I don't really want to get into the whole politics of this thing too deep. I guess you have to to some extent if you're going to talk about this. But, you know, you know the school system, it seems like, in each and every state is just a black hole for money. It just seems to disappear. I'm not even so sure if it gets there, to be quite honest. But nonetheless, that is the, that's the big story. Uh, Russell Williams, the president of the USTA, if you want to see his rebuttal, that's on the USTA website as, as well, ustrotting.com, and he pretty much lists the same facts of uh, the economic impact, the negative economic impact that this would have. But the question is, and then we'll go to break and we'll bring Melissa Keith in. Maybe she could tell us a little bit about what happened in Ontario, kind of a similar situation. But uh, – you know, the thing is, is that racing has put itself in a position where we are now at the mercy of a, of a dot of an eye and a cross of a T of a politician's pen. And that's simply it. And it's good to see that now there are some individual entities, groups, people, etc., on social media that realize this and are trying to take matters into their own hands, trying to do some things to promote the sport, to market the sport of harness racing, taking matters into their own hands. You see people like Adriano Sorella, Ryan Clements, 
Petrick Racing. The list goes on and on. Yannick Shingron made a tremendous Facebook post the other day. If you follow him on Facebook, he makes a very good point about maybe it's time. And if it's not going to happen this time, and it probably won't in Pennsylvania. But once again, it's not a good feeling when you're at the mercy of a politician's pen. They can all disappear in one dot of an eye and one cross of a tape. And that's not very stable ground to be on. Melissa Keith will be joining us here in just a few minutes. Also, Derek Gibner towards the top of the hour. we got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America and the USTA. Back in a moment. Join Harness Racing's hottest and most affordable fractional group, Winner's Circle Racing. Winner's Circle Racing provides the total harness racing experience from the barn to the paddock all the way to the Winner's Circle. Come invest with us and experience 100% of the thrills at a fraction of the cost. For more information, visit winnerscircleracing.net. That's winnerscircleracing.net. Here comes the charging mower, charging hard at The Jason Beam Horse Racing Podcast, brought to you by Twinspire, is your home for daily thoroughbred horse racing conversation. Join host Jason Beam as he discusses racing from around the country, interviews jockeys, trainers, media personalities, and horse players every Monday through Friday. The show can be found at Twinspires.com or on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. The Jason Beam Horse Racing Podcast, brought to you by Twinspire. Hey, racing fans, we all know the ride begins well before the starting gate. Stay warmed up around the clock at PennHorseRacing.com, your home for all things harness and thoroughbred racing. PennHorseRacing.com gives you the inside track on betting, industry events, breeding, news, and more. You know, everything that'll give you an edge come post time. Visit PennHorseRacing.com today. Brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Racing Association. Family problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're back on post time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Mike Bozich flying solo today. Mike Carter on assignment. Right now, we're joined by the uh, vice president of the Canadian chapter of the United States Harness Riders Association, the one and only, the very talented Melissa Keith. And Melissa, I got to tell you, first of all, that I really enjoy your handicapping insight on the Ontario website. I think that is outstanding, by the way. You do great work, I got to tell you. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's uh, great, great to be joining you here. And uh, I'm with the Canadian chapter of uh, the U.S. Harness Riders Association. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe someday vice president of national. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> it's it's fun uh, being in Oshawa, being part of a chapter that's pretty active with uh, Garnet Barnsdale uh, as our our chapter president now. It's uh, it's going well up there. Well, I'll tell you, with uh, Garnet and you in charge, it's in very, very capable hands. Uh, Melissa, before we get into uh, talking about the article, congratulations on the Hervey Awards. Certainly well done. We're going to talk about this article in just a moment, but obviously the big headlines as of late is the uh, the potential raid of the trust fund uh, for uh, racing in the state of Pennsylvania. And not too long ago, you guys had to overcome that in Ontario. Can you kind of shed some light on exactly what happened in Ontario? 
Well, I, I think it's a complex situation. It goes back to 2012 and the slots at racetrack program in Ontario. It uh, basically came to an end and uh, so did some tracks, which pulled the plug uh, almost immediately after that. Uh, Windsor Raceway, which was uh, Canada's mm-hmm. second uh, top track by handle for harness. Uh, they closed their doors. They're gone. Uh, Sudbury Downs never reopened after that. Other tracks have been up and down ever since then. Um, Ontario Racing is uh, the current, um, uh, I guess you'd call it, uh, body in, in charge of um, Ontario Racing, <laughs> which is logical. Um, there, there's, you know, more hope now, I think with a central body like that, helping keep racing prominent with marketing, with things like the website, there are other programs they run because they include the thoroughbreds and, uh, I believe the quarter horses as well. Um, it's doing better in Ontario. I think Handel has been very good at Mohawk. Uh, now that they're a full-time year-round facility, uh, Western Fair had a record uh, handle like earlier this year. So 2020, it's it's quite something. I, I think betters are responding, but the small tracks are still they're they're struggling. I think um, to adapt the, the whole slots thing. I mean, look at Florida. It's always a uh, it, it's a deal that you, you hope always uh, plays out in the best interest of racing, but it's not guaranteed forever. So I think that's just a, an adaption that Ontario is making rather well at the moment, although the small tracks, it's still up in the air. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And a lot of people, you know, I, I try to explain the Ontario thing to a lot of different people, and, and they quite don't understand because they still see slots at the particular racetracks at some, um, like you see them at Woodbine Mohawk and, and you know, Western Fair and uh-huh. some other places. But, you know, Handle has just been outstanding. It seems like that Ontario racing has kind of went through a little bit of a positive renaissance. I, I think with horse players, it is like the, there's no question it's getting a lot of attention. Some of it is different bets. Some of it is just really good publicity and people who are, you know, actively promoting their tracks on social media. Um, you know, it's, it's very clear that it brings people to the track. Uh, I've, I've been at Western fair, couldn't get a table. I've been at Mohawk and uh, with Ryan Clemens, we couldn't get a table. Um, that was not during the breeder's crown either. I should add, it was just so right. busy um, that particular occasion. So, uh, you know, it, it does come down to the survival of the smaller tracks. And that's another issue that I think, um, I mean, the Ontario Harness Horsemen's Association had a meeting on the weekend uh, in, before the O'Briens that, uh, you know, it painted a rather grim picture for some of those smaller tracks, which are really trying to hang on. And, uh, you know, their relationship with slots is quite different from the uh, bigger players. And then there's also, without going into it too much, uh, there, there are people who say some some of these slots-equipped uh, tracks that have a pretty decent handle are not doing enough to market the racing as, as independent entities, but <laughs> that uh, that's up for them and uh, up to them to uh, uh, market themselves, I guess, from a racing perspective, but, but not all of them do. So it's, the, it's an interesting thing right now. Harness racing at a slots-equipped track can be positioned as a reason for people to go to the track, 
And then in other cases, it's almost like we forgot about the race. <laughs> right. Visiting with Melissa Keith. Uh, Melissa, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the story that earned you a Hervey Award. It was a two-part story on the death of Ron Graham. Tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of went into that article and, uh, you know, just, just what what kind of – why did you – you know, decide to come up with something like that, that article? Well, that article was um, a very random happening in a way. I stumbled across in in some random reading that a Cape Breton horseman had passed away on the streets of Toronto. And obviously when I hear Cape Breton and I hear horsemen, I think there's one kind of horseman that comes from Cape Breton and that's a harness horseman, and I thought, Ron Graham. And that reminded me of Ron Graham, who was a very successful trainer driver in Alberta, who I knew was alive and Mm -hmm. well in the Edmonton area. So I reached out to that Ron Graham, and I said, have you heard of this other Ron Graham who passed away? And he he had not, but he was interested and and curious, of course. So I canvassed a, a large swath of uh, Cape Breton horse people across the North American harness racing industry trying to find out about Ron Graham, who had been homeless. And I think the the winning tip, so to speak, uh, the, the uh, person who set me on the right track was Kevin McMaster, who now works for Anthony McDonald and the stable. Right. He trains uh, for their... Uh, immense uh, stable does a great job there and uh, he tipped me off about this uh, Ron Graham whose father had been a horseman a driver at uh, Tartan Downs in Sydney Cape Breton so um, long story short that allowed me to connect enough dots to run the first part of the story and when that appeared in Harness Racing Update it was one of the most read stories of 2019 I woke up and my phone was full of people responding that they had known or worked with or hired Ron Graham, the late Ron Graham, to work with their horses. And it just, it, it was incredible, the uh, outreach of people who knew him and no one had a bad word to say about him. So that and, and it, and it was part, part yeah, two. And it was, yep. and, yeah, part two, exactly. It was a two-part story. Tell us a little bit about the second part. That was where I was able to assemble enough puzzle pieces in talking to members of Ron Graham's family and some of the horse people who he had worked with or for. Um, It doesn't really solve the question of how Ron Graham ended up going from a professional harness groom who could have been a trainer or driver but chose to say a groom to ending up um, homeless on the streets of Toronto and, and dying in a homeless encampment. Uh, there's, there's information which I think only the late Ron Graham knew about uh, how, how his life followed that path, and he never reached out for help. So I think if there was something to be taken from his story, it's if someone is working in the industry and find them, finds themselves in this position of uh, – Need, needing a hand, it's it's good to ask people and not not be ashamed. Um, he he kept his situation to himself, and without exception, the trainers and and horse people I spoke to said 
if I had known that he needed help, I would have helped him. So that's what's the uh, the saddest part. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Very, very touching story. Melissa, before we let you go, um, obviously you've, you've written a lot of articles. You, you you do a lot of writing. What does it mean to you to win a Hervey? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's it's different when a particular story wins. I, I suppose it's like if you're you're a trainer and, you know, you have your – individual uh, horses and it means something different depending on which one wins <laughs> so th- this is this is my third hervey and this one is in a way uh, the most special and uh, i i just um, i can't thank dave briggs enough at harness racing update for taking a chance as an editor on a story like this which i know is not happy reading and um, it's a topic that some obviously found, uh, you know, depressing or upsetting because because it is that kind of a story. It is a a call to action in a way to do more for caretakers in in our industry to ensure that they don't hit rock bottom if they do have some sort of an issue. So I think overall, this this is the most meaningful Hervey to me. Um, and I also wanted to thank, uh, while we're talking about this, uh, Laurel Montiero of Haven, Toronto, which is Canada's only uh, men's drop-in centre for homeless men over age 50. That's where Ron Graham spent a lot of time uh, talking with his uh, friends who also lacked housing. Um, and some of them, apparently, and not so much now, but there were other grooms, there were other horse people who had been at... Uh, Blue Bonnets, Greenwood, uh, various tracks who would show up there, play cards, and tell stories. So um, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but <laughs> it's, it's a very meaningful Hervey. It's a very uh, special Hervey. And I'm I'm a Graham. A lot of uh, Cape Bretoners, uh, people from Nova Scotia in the industry, have Graham uh, bloodlines. So uh, on my mother's side, I'm a, I'm a Graham. And uh, Bill Cass, the trainer, also... Uh, you know he's he's a Graham on his on part of his family. So there's a lot of Grahams out there and a lot of Cape Bretoners out there. And uh, you know it 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 it's kind of a personal thing in a way to um, see somebody with the same bloodline name in a, in the news for passing away homeless and to wonder what happened. Wow. Well, great stuff, Melissa. Listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, and uh, we really, really enjoy your work, and uh, keep on dishing out the good stuff, my friend. Thank you very much, Mike, and uh, keep on picking winners and calling some great races. All right. That was Melissa Keith, the uh, vice president of the Canadian chapter the United States Harness Writers Association of Canada. Still lots left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Another John Hervey Award winner, Derek Givner's in the house, and we're going to uh, talk to him about a couple of different topics, so you're not going to want to go anywhere. Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA, rolls on after this timeout. Winback of Delaware's Stallion lineup offers 12 proven stallions for the first stage. Classic Corn Shark is a proven sire of stakes winners. He is a full brother to both Better's Delight and Roll with Joe. 
Roddy's Bangs Again is the sire of multiple DSBF final winners, including $675,000 winner Perfect Bangs. I'm Linda Cascano. I was the trainer of Heston Blue for his whole career, and I have nothing but good things to say about Heston. He was a professional horse from the day he started. Heston Blue Chip is the sire of multiple stakes winners, including 2019 New York Sire Stakes champion and $980,000 winner Zero Tolerance. For more information on stallions, including breeding contracts, visit winbackfarm.com. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Southern Oaks has been the winter home of many great horses competing in several different stakes programs. It's home to leading trainers such as Irv Miller, John Shane, Eddie Lohmeyer, and Ian Moore, just to name a few. The farm is conveniently located within 45 minutes of both the Orlando Airport and Daytona Beach in sunny Florida. Southern Oaks, arguably the best training service in all of Florida, has stalls for rent for the winter season. For more information, visit southernoakstraining.com. That's southernoakstraining.com. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USDA. Mike Bozich flying solo here today. Mike Carter is on assignment right now. We're joined by the chief editor at DRF Harness, earning his first Hervey Award. And I'll tell you, that is amazing. As I said at the top of the show, the good work that Derek Gibner does, this is his first Hervey, the, the, the great articles year after year that Derek has put out. And it's good to see Derek finally get some recognition, rolling the sport into the future. The name of the article back in early February in DRF Harness Weekend. Derek, welcome to the program, buddy. How are you? Thanks, uh, buddy. Uh, thanks for all the kind words, and uh, it certainly was uh, pretty cool to win a Hervey. Uh, I honestly haven't submitted that many stories over the year. I, I think I've submitted more photos than stories, but uh, I-, I-, I will say I've always wanted to win one of these. Well, this is a good one, and you know, I talked about at the top of the show about uh, reading headlines, and rolling the sport into the future is certainly a headline that I think would attract uh, pretty much everybody that's got anything to do with the sport of harness racing because, uh, quite simply, the fact that the future is certainly hazy. And, of course, the news coming out over the last couple of days uh, about what's going on in Pennsylvania with uh, Governor Tom Wolf trying to raise $204 million from the Racehorse Development Trust Fund. Obviously, this is not good news. This is something I don't think that's going to go away. This is something that racing is going to have to put up with, I think, year after year. Uh, what do you know about this? I know you, you, you got the scoop on a lot of different things. Uh, give us your take on this. Well, the Pennsylvania situation, I actually wrote something about the Pennsylvania situation that will come out in the newsletter that we're doing to, tonight. Um, uh, I'm of the opinion that Russell Williams from the USTA had it right. And or has it right in that uh, let's be patient with this. Let's not go crazy and, you know, 
you know, worried that, you know, everything's coming to a crashing halt. I mean, it's okay to be proactive, I mean, and do different things to try to explain to the legislature that, you know, this is important and we need horse racing. We need this money and there's a lot of uh, jobs and the, the, it's important for the economy. But at the same time, let's not run around frantic like, hey, this, you know, it's all coming to an end because I don't necessarily think it will. I mean, we've seen it time and time again where there have been attempts to do things like this. And obviously in Florida, it looks like there's a very good chance it will. But I don't know. I I guess I always look at the positive viewpoint. Even when the Meadowlands was, you know, on the verge of closing, you know, I always thought somehow it was going to, you know, work out. And obviously, you know, thanks to Jeff Corral stepping in, it did work out. And uh, uh, I don't know. I, I just tend to take a positive view towards things. And that works with your program, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, listen, we always try to take a positive outlook. It's kind of tough, though, because – you know, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Racing has kind of put itself in a position where we are at the mercy of legislators. And, you know, it's a constant battle in these state capitals to try to educate them. Because, I mean, listen, you've got – I mean, it's a kind of a revolving door. You've got a lot of new people that come in with term limits and that every two and four years. It's kind of a constant battle. The lobbying effort uh, that, uh, you know, that, that the racing industry has to employ is, is very important. But uh, one of the things about this, and I wanted to ask you about this, because it seems like this is a little bit of a cloudy area, was that back in 2017, the Racehorse Industry Reform Act – uh, was kind of born, and this money was put into kind of a trust fund. So is it even legal for the governor or any political entity to raise that fund? I mean, just in the stuff I've been reading up on, it seems like it's not. I mean, I, I honestly don't know enough about the, the funds in Pennsylvania to, to say for sure one way or another. Um, I I have to believe, and like I said, this comes back to being positive. I have to believe that in the end, you know, the people who are in charge there are going to realize that this would do more harm than it would do good. And, of course, he's trying to – the governor's trying to use kids, you know, as the, oh, we mm-hmm. have to help the children and everything. And, and that listen, that makes complete sense, you know, from a public perception viewpoint. But when it comes to push and shove, you look at it and you look at the number of jobs that would be lost and the, the impact to the economy, I think it's too great to even fund something for the kids, so to speak. And that's where my thing is, is that, you know, where is the public opinion on this? And we know it's a hustle bustle world and, and people read headlines, people are on the go. And, you know, and if you just basically go up to somebody who's not, uh, and there's obviously a lot of them that, uh, you know, aren't really in tune with racing, aren't really in tune with what's going on, uh, you know, in the sport and the relationship between, you know, the casinos and the racetracks and so forth. But if you ask that particular person or any particular person, just say, hey, where do you want this $204 million? Do you want it to go to kids, poor kids trying to go to college, or do you want it to go to horse racing? I mean, we know what the answer is going to be. Well, it all comes down to, you know, how you, you know, put out the image and how you put the message forth. If you explain to people that, well, yeah, you're going to take the $204 million and you're going to give it to kids, but, you know, 10,000 people are going to leave the state and go live somewhere else because you're taking away their jobs, you know, then you're going to see how that message, you know, changes things a lot. 
you know, it, it's all about, I mean, it goes back to the, basically to the piece I wrote on bowling. It's about taking what you have as an industry and putting it forth to the people in the best light possible. You know, it's about message. It's about working together, the entire industry from, you know, caretakers all the way up to the racetrack owners, you know, working together to move the sport together as a whole, you know, not just individually the horsemen go one way and the racetracks go another way. You know, that's what we have right now. Everyone goes in their own separate direction with their own separate goals as opposed to, you know, like whether it's the NBA, MLB, or or any kind of professional, WWE, you know, they go together as a whole and move their message forward and their brand forward as a whole. Um, Just talking about bowling, every week I get an email in my email that tells me what's going to be on that week in terms of bowling telecast. Also tells me where my local bowling alley is if I want to go bowling. You know, we don't have something like that for harness racing. If there's a big race in harness racing, someone doesn't email me and tell me about it and then tell me, you know, go to Yonkers Raceway because that's the closest track to me. You know, and we need to do things like that. Visiting with Derek Gibner, chief editor at DRF Harness, uh, Hervey Award winner uh, for excellence in harness racing journalism for his column, Rolling the Sport into the Future. Derek, it sounds like when we get into this conversation that it seems like it always heads to a central governing body. And I think that's kind of where it's got to start. How does something like that start? Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, I, I really do think a central governing body would work or a central figure, commissioner or whatever, would work for the sport. The problem is where do you find the person that everyone will say, you know what, we put all our trust in your hands. You know, who is that person? You know, how many, how many people in your life do you feel like, you know, this person would be completely fair and honest in every single situation? How many people do you know? I mean, I, I mean, I know maybe a couple, but do you, how many people out there are that uh, both Jeff Garrow and Joe Feraldo will both trust to do the right thing and, and abide by it? That, that's the really difficult situation, you know, and that's putting aside all the issues with the different jurisdictions as far as the racing commissions in, in New York versus New Jersey or whatever. I've always thought that there's no reason why all these different commissions couldn't continue to charge, you know, let's say, let's say right now it's $100 for a license in New York and $100 in New Jersey. Why can't, you know, we have one $300 fee and, Everyone, you know, gets a little piece of that money, and we work together, and we all have the same rules. Well, that's uh, that certainly makes perfect sense to me. And of course, if you can establish a central governing body, then then you can take it a step forward, and you can establish a central marketing body, a central marketing plan for the sport of harness racing and whole. And I certainly agree with that concept. Eric, let's uh, switch gears. Let's talk about the article, Rolling the Sport into the Future. What kind of give you the idea for the article? What kind of give you the inspiration to, to uh, put that pen to paper? I've been bowling my whole life, since probably since I was about 14 or so in, in leagues. I went and bowled in all kinds of junior bowling tournaments and stuff. And and I I used to watch it on TV all the time bowling. It was a big thing, you know. Every week you'd sit down on Saturday and you you watch bowling. And, and then I kind of lost a little interest, you know. The the telecast, you know, they weren't as interesting anymore. 
I didn't bowl as much as I did when I was younger, and I kind of kind of faded away. And then just recently, maybe a year ago, it's a little over a year ago now, I happened to be flipping around the TV stations, and I came across this bowling telecast. And all of a sudden, the, the graphics were much better. You know, they, they were showing the lanes with the the oil patterns to see exactly how the ball was going. They were showing the how the ball was traveling on the lane. They were giving you graphics as to speed and revolutions per minute. They were giving me all this information that you never had before. And it, it really drew me in. And I said, wow, why don't we have this kind of stuff in harness racing? I mean, harness racing, half the tracks, you know, maybe even more than half the tracks, don't even have high definition. You know, there's, yeah, we have little numbers on the bottom, but they're really, we're not giving the people as much as we could. And then you watch, you know, a broadcast like the Prix de Marique or, or, or something like that where they have all these extra graphics and all this extra, you know, bells and whistles, so to speak. And I thought, wow, why aren't we doing more? And that's really how this, you know, got started, this article. And it's a really, really good article. It's uh, on the February 9th edition of the uh, Daily Racing Forum on this weekend. Derek, before I let you go, I'll, uh, this is your first Hervey Award, so this certainly has to mean a lot to you. What's it mean to you? It means really a lot. I mean, if you ask I, I, Ken Weingarten to call me up and let me know that I won, and if you ask him, I was a little giddy on the phone, honestly. I mean, when it comes to these things, I'm sitting there at the end of the year, and since I get to choose what I write and how I want to write, I end up with, you know, hundreds of things that I wrote during the year, and you have to sit down and you have to decide which of these articles, you know, you want to submit, you know, and then it's like picking between your kids in some ways. It's like, well, I really like this one. No, I really like this one. And, you know, it, it's, it's really hard. I'm, every year that I've submitted, you know, and as I said, I haven't submitted that many. I always sit there and I say to myself, am I submitting the right one? Is this the wrong one? You know, and, you know, to, to get the award, it's really fulfilling because I write so much stuff, and this really says that, you know what, something I wrote is really worthy. Well, Derek, listen, we enjoy your work immensely throughout the years. You put out a lot of great articles, and, and uh, you know, the DRF newsletter is uh, certainly a great read. And, of course, uh, you're going to be putting out a piece uh, about Pennsylvania, so certainly want to stay tuned for that and check that out. Derek, we appreciate your time, buddy. Uh, and uh, best of luck to you in the future, my friend. I appreciate it, Mike. And everyone, come to uh, drf.com slash harness. You can check out our online portal or DRF Harness on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, I appreciate the time on you. All right. Good stuff, my friend. Thank you. All right. That was Derek Gibner, Chief Editor at DRF Harness. Uh, his first John Hervey Award. That's just, That's amazing. That's amazing. Somebody that puts out high-quality work year in and year out and uh, gets his first Derby Award. But uh, congratulations to him. That's certainly a heck of an accomplishment. We're going to wrap this thing up after this timeout. We've got this time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America, the USTA. Join Harness Racing's hottest and most affordable fractional group, Winner's Circle Racing. Winner's Circle Racing provides the total harness racing experience from the barn to the paddock all the way to the Winner's Circle. Come invest with us and experience 100% of the thrills at a fraction of the cost. For more information, visit winnerscircleracing.net. That's winnerscircleracing.net. Here comes the charging mower, charging hard at the 6 minute one. 
Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter, for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a lift chair or scooter to help with your mobility needs? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application or contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org. If eligible, you may receive funding. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer or driver? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2018 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2019 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through November 30th. For the drivers and trainers that are currently participating in the challenge and donate $100, they will receive a Pacing for the Cure long sleeve t-shirt or baseball cap. For a $250 donation, the driver or trainer will receive two tickets to the annual party. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email Jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers and trainers. From the edge of your seat starts to the white knuckle finishes. Horse racing is truly a ride unlike any other. One that the Pennsylvania Horse Racing Association intends to preserve in the Keystone State for years and years to come. From our breeders to track operators to you, the fan. PHRA is here to bring everyone together for the benefit of the sport we love and the majestic athletes we adore. Learn more about the PHRA's mission at PennHorseRacing.com. Brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Racing Association. Jimmy Freight is new to Ontario in 2020. Jimmy Freight is the richest and fastest son of sports writer and was the O'Brien three-year-old called Pacer of the Year and won multiple stakes at ages two, three, and four. And Jimmy Freight turns on the Jimmy Jet by a length and a half in 148-1. Jimmy Freight at 10-1 to 1 to win the Dayton. Derby. He stands his first season in 2020. For booking information on Jimmy Freight, please visit winbackfarm.com. Limited shares available. Go to winbackfarm.com. We're back on Post Down with Mike and Mike, presented by Impet America and the USTA. Mike Bozich, Mike Carter. On assignment today, we had a pretty good show, pretty informative. We certainly appreciate our guests for making it that way. Derek Gibner, the Chief Editor at the RF Harness, and Melissa King, the Vice President of the Canadian Chapter of Ushua, Canada. Opening weekend coming up at the Downs of Mohegan Sun Pocono, so make sure you check them out on this, or coming up this Saturday, February 8th. First time they've opened up in February in quite some time, so make sure that you check it out. On behalf of all of us here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, we'll see you next Thursday for the first post of 1030. Good night, everybody. Can't stay here I know who I want to take me home